Jess. What's good, people? It's Reg. It's Stone. And we are here relaxing, you know, it's towards the end of summer, you know, very eventful, a lot of things are happening, you know, unfortunately, a lot of global warming has been happening, but either way, hopefully we're all home, relaxing, rejuvenating, ready to face this cold weather, you know what I'm saying? Get out the North Faces, get out the Tims, Tims. you know what I'm saying? We're ready out here to face the winter, you know, the winter of our lives. <laughs> See, I made that literary out of nowhere. Shouts. But, but uh but yeah, so oh true. I was gonna say like last winter was like the warmest winter on record or some shit like that, right? Like I you know oh, I the winter is Yeah. <laughs> winter is not coming. It's 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 a it's a state of mind now, I think. <laughs> I'm I'm wearing Tim's of shorts. <laughs> but uh we are back, everybody. Um, we've got a special episode cooking up for you for a special anniversary, but we wanted to kind of get one out of the way. And I'll be honest with you, it's been a, it's been a second, you know what I'm saying? Real life kind of creeped in there, but me and someone had it popping, and you know, we're debating on it. We had our little list, and we were just like, we're going to talk about these topics, and you know, the new Nas album, new Diddy album, XYZ, and then like, manna from the gods... Somebody decided to be the main character on Twitter today. And I was like, who, who, who is this Jan Werner person that recognized his name? Then I was like, oh my God, it's Mr. Rolling Stone himself. Um, as you may all well know, this is a music podcast, you know, where we debate about music and discuss it. And, you know, obviously music journalism has existed for as long as journalism has existed, but there's a big argument to be made that Rolling Stone was pretty much the alpha and omega of the current world. You know, it was magazines started in the sixties. I was very concerned of rock and roll at that time. It's pretty much been a big Bible for music journalism. Probably I could say till the nineties, maybe till yeah. Pitchfork. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was recently sold 2019 to, I believe, uh, one, I think half private equity, half like, um, uh, uh, entertainment group but either way um behind a rolling stone was always the founder and editor jan werner um i mean it's not much to say that like all media to be honest with you there's always been accusations of having a certain slant um ha- having it being focused on basically rock and roll ignoring a lot of important artists of color and ignoring a lot of queer artists ignoring a lot of women artists you know and you know generally rolling stone almost says let's necessarily say has rolled with the punches but you know it's one of those things where this is all we have this is all we have to kind of accept so to my surprise this went viral and let me um this is gonna be a first for i guess Regin Stone, I'm gonna do a little reading. Is that can I can I, can I get a little bit uh, well audiobook action, audiobook action, some snaps. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> there are seven subjects in this new book. Seven white guys. In this introduction, you acknowledge that performers of colors and women are just not on your zeitgeist. Which brings to my mind, it's not plausible for Jan Werner, Janis Joplin, Joni Mitchell, Stevie Nicks, Stevie Wonder. The list keeps on going. Not in your zeitgeist. What do you think is a deeper explanation for why you interviewed the subject you interviewed and not other subjects? Right? Fair question. You know, Carol King, Madonna, there are millions of examples. You know, the selection was not a deliberate selection. It was kind of intuitive. It is felt together that way. The people had to meet a couple of criteria, but it was just my personal interest and love of them. Insofar as the women, just none of them were as articulate on this intellectual level. Now, this is where a life, life, somebody gave her a life rap. He, he said, hey, oh, stop it. Tell me Joni Mitchell is not articulate. And then basically, all right, thank you. 
It's not that they are not geniuses. It's that they're not, and it's not that they're not inarticulate. Although, go have a deep conversation with Grace Slick or Janis Joplin. Be my guest. You know, Tony was not a philosopher of rock and roll. Basically, long story short, to kind of get it to the point, he kind of basically shit on, you know, non-white male artists as being a inarticulate, b not important, and. You know, I kind of geeked out to Stone before the podcast because I thought it kind of sums up the very reason why, like, we started the podcast. Yeah. 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 I mean, so look, this this is, you know, just, I'm thinking about all the times in the podcast we talk about the Grammy Awards, talk about the music industry, we talk about, you know, the gatekeepers, the power that, powers that be, um, and and this guy is definitely one of them. And, and, you know, the gatekeeper for, you know, for a time, one of the most powerful music magazines, um, you know, in, in the world, he said the quiet part out loud, you know, yep, absolutely. <laughs> and that's what you like. It, it's funny because like, I, I thought they taught you in racist school to not do that. <laughs> Got, we've worked on the dog whistles. We had scientists working on these for a while. We have the exact fucking tone, <laughs> the exact decibel level for dog whistles. <laughs> and races one on one, they say, like, don't say it's a quiet part out loud. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I think, but, you know, we, it makes a lot of sense uh, up and down the industry. It's obviously why you see for the Grammy Awards. And, you know, look, <laughs> for this podcast, I feel like we built our whole career. <laughs> off of shitting on the Grammys, right? Um, but even if it's not said, there's definitely a perception there. Um, you know, I've been to Grammy events where, like, you just kind of hear, like, these old white men talk about hip-hop, right? You kind of hear the hushed tones, and they, they think it is a lesser art form, right? And, and they think that it is it is lesser. And I think this has been the fight for that black music, that, you know, music, you know, fronted by women, um, you know, queer music now, it is the ongoing fight um, that, you know, continues to happen this day, right? For, and it really sucks, right? Like, I think all of these artists want Grammy nominations. They want to get featured in Rolling Stone. Um, it is a weird thing as minorities where, obviously, it's great to get featured on BET, but I think we always have in the back of our head you know, we want like the Rolling Stones. We want like the higher, you know, like agreed, agreed. Like, like you know, like the mainstream love and attention, right? Um, and because we we see the sales numbers, we see like the streaming numbers. We know that that's happening um, on the consumer side, but you you know you want that recognition, and you know it's it's just it's it's human nature, and even if it's a fallacy of of, of people of color, so. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm disappointed, but I'm not surprised just to sum it up. Yeah, no. And like, and like I said, going back to your point is the idea of where, you know, obviously we all celebrate our own, you know, it's, it's not just the only lane, you know, true genius is not always fucking recognized, but I think it's the idea. And I think it goes back to the idea of Drake. And I think it goes back to the idea of the weekend and their boycotts. I think it goes back to the idea of Frank Ocean. Like these are artists who... A, have sold a shitload of records. 
B, who are critically acclaimed, C, who have made some classic songs. And I could see why they're like, hey, you know, why the fuck am I out here, you know, and, and no diss is like, why am I killing myself here? And then you like, you're giving it to like fucking Kesha, you know what I'm saying? And again, no diss is the idea of where, you know, generally black art isn't fucking, you know, given its creative props. But that goes back to my other point about this, where you have Rolling Stone that was basically started off in the late sixties and owed to rock and roll, where arguably the, the distance between rock and roll, AKA in this white modern white guy art form and its original art form where it was black performers was what, five years? Yeah. Maybe 10 tops removed? So it's not as if it's something where the line wasn't there. The line was very there. Like, I could, I could almost understand. Like, you have a lot of kids now who don't realize, like, like techno, techno is black music. But I, kind of, I kind of get it because, you know, techno, as far as the way it's put out, has, you know, it's been very white identified for, like, the last, like, almost 30 years now, right? When he started Rolling Stone, like... There were already discussions about like, yo, black people started this, like, you know, Sly and the Family Stone, James Brown, you know what I'm saying? The Beatles were probably only five years removed from yeah. black Motown covers. So it just kind of shows you just how willfully it is. And the thing is, is I would love to kind of say like, yo, obviously this guy is capital R racist. Obviously this guy is X, Y, Z. But the terrifying thing is it's not the fact of like, he's a bigot. It's like this for him. That's the default. It's like he decided to write a book. He goes in an interview right talking about the book. The book is all about these old white guys, which he feels are the masters of music. And there's nobody that's not a white guy there. And it didn't cross his mind. It might be weird. And, and I think that's the issue of where it's so ingrained. Going back to the idea of the Grammys. I don't think there's anybody like with Nats tattoos doing the Grammys. I'm pretty sure they have black friends. Oh, I'm yeah. pretty sure they they voted for Obama twice, maybe three times. <laughs> it's <laughs> the idea of where at, at, at the end of the day, it's like, this is what I'm used to. This is what I know. And I and it, what kind of sucks about it is the idea of where at the end of the day, even though it's unintentional, it's so fucking damaging. Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah. It's like, this is, Yeah. Yeah, I I, 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 there's a colleague in when I was in the music industry, and I, I hope I don't dox them. I, I won't like give out too many specifics, but um, speaking of like Frank Ocean and The Weeknd, they were on some type of nominating com- committee. Um, you know, this is like like 2010 or whatever when like like both of them were blowing up, right? And you know, he was the only person of color, and he was basically kind of saying like, hey. Like these guys are, you know, the future of music, right? And you know, the people in the nominating committee were like, "No, like Arcade Fire is the future of music." <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> you know, and like there's no, like you know, look, like I shit on Arcade Fire all the time. You no, know, no diss to them, you know, and I, I think, and I think he wasn't even trying to say, like. You know, like Arcade Fire, you know, is better or worse. It's just more of, um, I want these artists to have a seat at the table, right? Like, yeah. And he just kind of fit, felt so much resistance. And again, like these people weren't saying the quiet part out loud. Like they're like dancing around, like you know, like like you know. I think they mentioned like, oh well, so and so, like you know, they have like you know, songwriting chops and they use guitars and like blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they were just like dancing around like why uh, Frank Ocean, The Weeknd shouldn't be considered for this award, right? And, 
it, you know, I, I, again, it's just like one of those things where I, I think that um, it's 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 just the 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 walls that you have to kind of face um, in the music industry. And like, like, you know, as somebody, you know, working in the music industry and working alongside people, like, you know, what this dude is saying is, is common knowledge, right? I don't think he's like super unique or, or whatever. Like, like this is like the sentiment for a lot of these guys. Like they, they think of, you know, uh, who, who, who's like, like Eric Clapton, rock God. Eric Clapton. <laughs> 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 Although Jimi Hendrix can like run like circles around him, and Eric Clapton will probably say the same thing with his racist ass, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> he's so, the N word, but he can still play the guitar. <laughs> yeah, so you know, I like I said, it's it's it's, it's not it's not surprising. Um, you know, it, it's really interesting too. Like uh, at the VMAs, which I don't think anybody knows still happens. <laughs> 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 but I, I heard about it after the fact. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, but you know, SZA was up for like artist of the year. Um, and I think Taylor Swift won. And look, I, I I'm not saying Taylor Swift shouldn't be nominated. Maybe you know Taylor Taylor is like affecting the GDP of fucking countries right now, right? <laughs> but I think it's just like. And the man, SZA's manager, she was supposed to perform, like pulled SZA's performance from the VMAs, right? Um, and look, SZA had a really big year for the past like couple years, right? And whether it's right or wrong, I think I'm not surprised, right? Like I think people were just angry. And SZA, again, like I remember the Grammy, she was nominated for like eight awards or something like that and got zero, right? And I think, you know, like I said, Maybe she shouldn't have won Best New Art, like uh, Artist of the Year. Maybe you could have an argument for Taylor, Beyonce, whatever. But it's just the fact that you you still kind of start hitting these ceilings, you know. You hit these walls, and you know you can't be mad that like SZA and her management are frustrated, right? So, yeah, yeah. No, I, I th- that's the thing that's kind of I won't say cool. But it's the basic idea of why I'm not mad at Weekend or Drake or like Frank Ocean, like I'm not playing at Grammys or SZA. And at the end of the day, what's kind of sucks about it is that it'd be one thing if it was compartmentalized, right? So you're not fucking good for me. That's cool. I'm going to do my shit in the corner, right? That's hip hop. That's fucking techno music. That's disco. That's look, we're going to make it pop over here. You know, ignore us. What kind of sucks is the fact of where they don't. You know, whenever it comes to a chance to leverage cool, they'll show up. You know what I'm saying? You know, oh, of course. my favorite thing, cliche. Yeah, my favorite cliche now still is always like, you know, whenever the Grammys show up, what are we doing? Black gospel choir. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> gotta get the black gospel. You know, Foo Fighters up there, 1975 is got black gospel. You know, country artists, black gospel. You know, we gotta have a little bit more of these signifiers. And at the end of the day, everybody will recognize, even your most racist people will be like, yo, like, but black people can, you know, are good entertainers. They 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 bring X Y Z. You know, like it's, it's trippy shit of where like like a camera was watching some neo Nazi fucking doc, and they're rolling around playing like fucking. I think it was um, Rick Ross at the time. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> where it's like, like yeah. your brain blows. So it was like, is the idea of where you know they don't want to recognize it. Lord knows they don't want to pay for it, but they'll definitely like kind of steal that labor. And, and and that's the weird thing about the boycott is the idea of where, you know, and again, I'm not saying that, 
you know, there's always a cliche that we look at the white man's ice is fucking colder. We need to have our own award shows, yada, yada, yada. Look, I am not going to be like, at the end of the day, it's not better to be a little bit underground away removed from the mainstream. That said, if you've got these awards that are kind of told to you from a little kid, because I remember even as a little kid and watching like the fucking the Grammys, you know what I'm yeah. saying? I used to watch all of those things. If you're growing up in, you know, if you're a popular artist where you are running into a Taylor Swift, where you are running into a 1975, where you are running into a Dua Lipa, and you're all hanging out at the same parties and doing the same exact thing, you know, you're at the MTV Movie, Movie Music Awards, you're there chilling, doing the champagnes in the background. You go there, you're partying, maybe you're making out, doing a little bit of some white lines in the back. You go there, sit in your seats, and then it's all you, the white people are getting up to get their awards. It's got to fucking stink. And, and like I said, at a certain point, I actually applaud the fact of where they're like, nah, we're not, you know, we're not performing. We're not showing up. We're not putting our name into the fucking ballots because I think that's the only way is because, you know, at the end of the day, everybody recognizes that it's valid art. You know, maybe in the literal sense, like in, in the literary sense, what I wanted to say, we don't want to recognize it, but they know by not showing up, it's a big deal. It's like, oh, this should be here. There's a gap here by kind of withholding that art. I think it's important, particularly if they're not going to recognize it. So it's like, hey, you know, like back to your point, maybe scissors should not have one. I can definitely see the arguments, quote unquote, for Taylor Swift. But at that same time, you look at it, it's like it's always consistent, right? Oh, yeah. It's not a one artist. It's not Taylor Swift. It's the system. And the other day, the system has no problem basically, you know, looking at black art as lesser while basically taking as much of it as possible and making money off it as much as possible. Yeah. I mean, a- another really interesting example is uh, the dude, the, the ghostwriter dude who um, had the tracks with Drake and Weekend. Um, yeah. he was able to submit his track for consideration. Yeah. Um, to the Grammys. Now, the track hasn't been nominated yet. But and I, I, I hope the Grammys are not stupid. <laughs> 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 but you know <laughs> they've been stupid in the past, so you know, I have very little little uh hope that they will get Vegas odds right, you know but yeah, Vegas odds are pretty low yeah but again it's like it's the most literal co-opting of black art right it's um I you know and this first person is saying well you know in order to like you know write the tracks and get the cadence of the artist to a point where it's believable it takes a lot of work Right in the prompting or, or whatever AI that they're doing, <laughs> so therefore I deserve this. Um, but again, it's it's just like one of those things. Like like like, I I think that you just have this industry who is you know built off the the backs of you know black and brown people, and they're literally going to you know I I wouldn't be surprised if this guy like gets nominated and gets an award right. For literally stealing the voices of black people, <laughs> right? Oof, and the levels, yeah. It's just, it, it, it's just, it, it's super crazy um, to kind of see that. And, and it seems like he's getting some support uh, throughout the industry, or you know, from the Grammys. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, going back to the Rolling Stone dude, like again, it's, it's not surprising. I, I, I think that this is like. Again, and tying this back to our 200 episodes in four years, this is the shit that we've just been rallying against, you know, for the past four years. Yeah. 
you know. And it sucks because it's like at the end of the day, because even then, right? So Rolling Stone, you could make the argument hasn't really been relevant for a very long time. But then what do you have right after Rolling Stone? You had Pitchfork. Pitchfork ruled the fucking, the, 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 was, was out there of their fucking literal pitchforks on the throne. You know, once again, like, you know, how many terrible indie fucking acts that we have to go through and we've been exposed to, you know what I'm saying? And it's funny because they're very quick to kind of like be like, oh, make fun of themselves and say, hey, this is generic indie rock. But, you know, these are the same guys that were on Bonnie Eva's dick forever. You know what I'm saying? So, like, at a certain point, you know, you know, physician, heal thyself. And even now we're in the TikTok era where, you know, for years, creators have been saying that TikTok really heavily, heavily, heavily favors white content to the point of, I remember this controversy. Remember the whole big thing was where you would have these kind of creators that were able to show off their quote unquote TikTok dances, but those TikTok dances were basically like some shit like the Nene, you know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. Is this like, Oh yeah. Yeah. So it was, so it's like all we're doing is basically, you know, for a society that's supposed to be supposedly moved on, you know, the gatekeepers have changed, you know, the platforms have changed, you know, maybe the genre, maybe the way it's kind of getting delivered, maybe the beats, the BPMs, you know, the way the art is presented, be it very fucking, be it audio, be it visual, but it's the same thing. It's just at the end of the day, it's just kind of like black art kind of really just being undervalued because fucking is this an easy way for a white creator to make a buck. If you put a white face on it, you'll make more money. And, uh, you know, and it's always been something where we've kind of always ra- rallied against where, you know, we may not have always, you know, we have eclectic taste and we shout certain things out, but generally what we kind of gravitate to is things that are feel genuine and what kind of sucks about it and the way we see it and kind of the way kind of music is going is that, you know, it's definitely very flat. It's definitely, you've got a lot of great music coming from different corners. I could probably say that if you're a music fan, it's probably the best time to be alive, but... As far as cutting the checks, as far as artists getting their fucking props, as far as all these things that should have happened, that's in the, the worst thing we've ever had. Like, yeah. Full stop. Like, you know, the, I, we're, we're kind of weirdly back to like the Motown era where it's just like people in a room somewhere making these big mega hits that get shipped out to fucking white acts to like fucking cover and make fucking millions of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oof. All right. And on that note... Shit. I guess what are white people doing black music? <laughs> Talking heads. <laughs> Talking heads. Oh, uh, no, no. All right. That was a little a, a shitty joke. So re- I rewind. So Talking Heads. I mean, shit. If you don't know who the Talking Heads are, you definitely know some of their samples. Um, our rock band started in New York City, 1975, I believe. Um, Tom Tom Club, you definitely know. <laughs> Basically, yeah. they're, you know, they're one of the most popular, I guess. I mean... I wouldn't necessarily call them Radiohead per se, but definitely one of the most critically acclaimed rock bands from the 70s to the 80s. I think their big power is the fact of while they could definitely do a lot of weird stuff, you know, the performances were always weird and quirky. David Byrne was definitely an interesting front man. They knew how to have a sense of funk and rhythm to what they were doing, you know. They were definitely early on to kind of adding some, let's say, African guitar. They definitely kind of looked towards world music. You know, for some art kids, it could have easily been like more like Devo, just doing some weird shit wearing glasses. They definitely kind of intentionally kind of broadened their horizons. You know, long story short, they have uh, Stop Making Sense, which was their big concept movie. I believe it came out in 1984, very critically acclaimed. John Demi did it, the same guy who did Silence of the Lambs. So it's a, it's a, it was a quite of a big deal of a movie at the time. Um, they released it. We released it recently, and I had a chance to see it. It's fucking fantastic. Um, long story short, with that same band, 
Um, David Byrne was always an enigmatic figure. He's somebody who writes plays, very well known. The running joke is you'll see him driving around in New York City on his bicycle. Um, the thing with Talking Heads is that they kind of imploded, not really spectacularly, but definitely with some bad blood. Um, because it's movies coming out, they've been kind of going out together and not necessarily, necessarily kind of touring, playing instruments, but definitely kind of, you know, showing up for the premieres and doing interviews about what it was to be at that time. And things have kind of like smoothed over a little bit. Um, I think David Byrne said, you know, we're not the best of friends, but we've created something that we really love and that kind of helps it better to communicate. And uh, I don't know. Um, the reason why I want to kind of bring it up is because, you know, I'm a music lover. And while the, the advertisement says is, is the greatest concert film of all time, which seems pretty lofty, I would have to say it actually is. Mm. It's uh, basically, I mean, I don't want to spoil too, too much, but I will say, number one, most importantly, they remastered the sound, so it's fantastic. Um, but also, too, there's a lot of interesting things here as far as the, the actual concert film where they've made a lot of choices where it feels almost very, I mean, it's very stripped down and very hyper, hyper sensational. I mean, it, it begins basically with David Byrne on stage. There's no lights on. You see a bare stage literally with like fucking ladders in the back and a boombox doing acoustic cover of Psycho Killer. And then from that, it builds on to this big, like, concert spectacle thing. So, and while it's happening, there's a lot of great angles. It's something where, when I was watching it, it reminded me of, you're going to laugh at this, Rosalia at Coachella. Interesting. Yeah. I, I because thought, I during thought you were going to say uh, Beyonce Homecoming. It will, to a certain <laughs> extent. But I'll tell, you, I'll tell you why. Beyonce Homecoming, yes. Because they had some interviews, but with Rosalia, they intentionally showed you a lot of the times where everybody wore cameras. Mm. So basically, if they if you had to switch costumes or go backstage or grab a prop, and then the thing is, while obviously she was the focus, they had no problem taking the cameras off of her and following the people involved in the actual, let's oh, say, cool. performance. Yeah. And then so I watched this and I was like, holy fuck, this is where they got the same idea because Jonathan Jonathan Dem Demi like basically filmed it the same exact way where there were folk times where the guys holding the camera were in frame and they were only focused on them. The times when the guys moving the, the moving the prospect and forth, they were in frame. They were only focused on them. So it was That's very cool. much like, you That's know, cool. a live concert film as a person in the audience, but yeah. also like, Hey, this is how we put this shit together. And I was like, God damn it. I would take every young, like, like, you know, like your 19, 20, 21 year old, they're going to go out and pimp, to go fucking tour in the 360 deal. And I was like, they all kind of need to watch this to kind of learn how performance works. Yeah, no, that, 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 that's cool. And, and I, I will definitely check this out. Like, I, I, I thought the trailer for the concert film was pretty great. And I, I'm i just like a dude that's probably not really that interested in Talking Heads like concert film. But it, it looks really dope. And yeah, I, I definitely have to uh, check that out because... I, from what I saw, just like the the amount of innovation was really awesome to to kind of you know witness, and you know today's concerts are kind of lame. You know, it, 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 I feel like there's you know something about trying to like do something different and bring art and artistry to the stage. So yeah, no, I I, I will definitely check that out. It, it's the the trailer was like oh really oh you guys are doing this huh and it's like eight twenty four right I think it's I think it's eight twenty four yeah eight twenty four yeah yeah so you know cool 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 and I, I think we're gonna I, I'll skip to one 
Long story short, to the shock of no one, there's a couple of lawsuits in life in California involving Live Nation for uh, wage theft, basically underpaying staff, underpaying people who are working the shows. You know, um, no brainer there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think like people don't really, really kind of. What am I trying to say here? Like, like we take a lot of uh, the people behind the scenes for granted, right? And, yeah. you know, there's security, there's catering, there's, like, back of house, there's sound. Like, there's, you know, people who are, like, you know, breaking down and putting up stages. There's roadies, gaffers. Um, there's just, like, a lot that kind of, you know like makes a show happen and it's always interesting for me like when i did a show i was at newport jazz and i was just like sitting with lauren and my, my wife and i was just kind of like talking about like the sound guy and sound check and like all the things you have to do and like you know you have to hit the drum like 50 times and it's just like there's all this yep, stuff yep. that happens and we expect it to happen like clockwork right we expect the show to be on time we expect the sound to be great we expect like, you know, uh, no mistakes. Um, but there are people, there are hundreds and thousands of people that actually um, work behind the scenes to make that happen. Uh, I, you know, I'm just not surprised that there's wage stuff. There's underpaying. Like a lot of people are contractors. A lot of people, it's like people, you know, like I've done shows and we've had to like get somebody on the day of. It's like a friend of a friend had to like roll through, you know, for like we need extra bodies. <laughs> to move like cases off of a truck, yeah, true, true. you know, and, and a lot of those you know, situations, people are getting paid on the table or, you know, or whatnot. So not surprising at all. Um, you know, I, I, here's what I want to say. I know we've been kind of shitting on Taylor Swift, but you know, she gave all of her back of house people like bonuses from her tour, you know? So like truck drivers are getting like a hundred K and you know she didn't have to do that right and i like i can't be mad for taylor for doing that right because i i, I do think there's there there's underappreciation for all those people that just make make live music work yeah no agreed 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 and i, and I think that you know it, it's just in general is the idea of where you know and i think one thing we've really been good at just in general as far as music discussion is the fact of where you know again you know Taylor Swift's on stage, you have all the spectacle, all the dancers, it goes well beyond that. Like you said, it's sliding, it's sound guys, everything else, and it's the idea of where, you know, the idea of quote-unquote entertainment, like what you see on stage is not even like 25% of the staff or the work that gets involved. That's the, that's the end point, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, for somebody with Taylor Swift doing her choreography, the choreographer is not on stage. She's somebody probably in the back, you know, getting somebody prepped up if anything is a plan B that goes wrong in X, Y, Z, you know? And I think that in general, you know, as we kind of, you know, long the, the big theme is the fact of now as we look at, you know, equity and, and wages parity and everything else where it's like, hey, you know, if a show has to go on and a show is making X amount of money, everybody kind of needs to get a cut because they're equally as important. And it's the idea of where right now we're in a space of where the money has to get all the money even though they're not creative, you know what I'm saying? And that's something where you see that reckoning happening, you know, in Hollywood and across the board. But, you know, ideally I'm hoping it kind of goes through because it's something that we kind of need to fix. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. my dude, uh, do you have any new music 
<laughs> yeah, let's let's uh so um have you heard James Blake? No, no, never never heard of him. Alright, all right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'll start with my so here's the thing. So back in the blog era, Stone, remember we were young and cool? <laughs> remember the free sparks? The four locos. We there was so, a, we so a young cool, producer. <laughs> we were so cool. It's it's man, don't don't get old, folks. But uh, long story short, uh, I remember James Blake when he was just a budding electronic producer. He had stuff where he was doing like not necessarily dubstep, but like you know more like let's say garagey dub tracks with like Aaliyah flips. And I remember when I first heard about him. And then obviously, as we all know, James Blake in 2023 is pretty much just basically like the the white Zoloft Nate Dog, <laughs> where, you know, for the most part, if you need like an R&B hook, if you need something very somber, he's the go-to guy. His last couple of albums have a heavy hip-hop presence. You know, he's showing up Beyonce records. He's showing up with fucking Frank Ocean records. And I know during the pandemic, he might have dropped like an EP. Yeah. But I definitely know he at least had one live performance. And maybe an EP of like dance music that was more focused. And basically with this latest record, he's kind of, I think, trying to reconcile both things. So basically, this is definitely heavy produced, a lot of vocal chops, a lot of vocal manipulation, a lot of four on the floor, a lot of, let's say, beats kind of indebted to garage, you know, to, indebted to garage music, to maybe a little drum and bass. And while I will say that this is not my favorite James Blake album, I will say that as somebody who felt like he's kind of painted himself into the corner of the last couple of releases where they've been good but pretty much the same, this is one that sounds like, oh shit, like he's he's doing something a little different. He's having fun. Some of the melodies seem a little stronger. So this has been one where I guess I can't say it's a, a change in sound that was needed, but more of like a return home or return to form. Wow. Yeah, no, I, I definitely need to check that out because I'm like, oh, like when you're saying like, oh, four to the floor, I'm like, are you talking about James Blake? Like that? That James Blake? <laughs> the other James, the other James yeah, Blake. Yeah, he had joints, baby. You know? I feel bad. It's like he was, he the second they came up with that, that R&B sad check, he was like, fuck it. He's like, <laughs> fuck these decks. <laughs> you know? And I, Bring out the piano. Is he still like booed up? Because it's like, like I, I remember his last song, like at last album was like, you know, I got a girlfriend, but I'm still sad. Like, <laughs> so. Br- bruh, he got he. She has credits all over the album, so maybe it's her. Maybe she was also like, I stopped being sad. Oh. I don't need no sad nigga around. You know, gotta be happy. <laughs> gotta be happy, dude. <laughs> gotta be happy. <laughs> Yo, that's crazy. Every that's day crazy. I wake up, you mope and play the piano. <laughs> it's like you. It's like a weird thing, right? Because like sometimes you're just like you know, like sad boy summer is my bag, but like. <laughs> <laughs> like you like do you play to like the the expectations and stereotypes you know or do you like you know try to be yourself it's, it's hard to be an artist man it's hard to be an artist <laughs> yeah I, and i'm not mad bro it's like you know mate again he's i believe he's somebody's classically trained in piano i could get i will not disparage anybody in today's hellscape for getting a check but you could definitely, and like I said, you could definitely hear it being more energized. And I think, honestly, it's because, again, he's just there with his boo, making music. You know, the decks are out again. You know what I'm saying? They're having a little daytime parties, a little, you know, probably them and the pets chilling in the living room. I'm not mad. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. 
All right, my my mm-hmm. my news music selection. Um, I don't I don't know if you heard this artist. You might have talked about this artist on on the podcast. Um, so he goes by a few names. Uh, Gaze Rivera. Nope. No. Goyard coming. Yeah. Uh, he's got another uh, like Black Bolshevik. Like like he's he's a very interesting underground MC from Philly, and. Essentially, like the way I heard about him, uh, he has a, a a track called "Patrice Colors Stole My Lunch Money," which is Patrice <laughs> Colors from Black Lives Matter, uh, where he's literally just kind of <laughs> like uh, going at like Black Lives Matter, but from more of a you know not from like a racist standpoint, but more of like a, you're supposed to be an organization. That's supposed to be about the people. Missed opportunity. Why, why are you having yeah. mansion parties in LA, right? So definitely, you know, like on that style of kind of like, I mean, you know, social or, or, or just like you know, activist rap, right? Um, and that album was uh, there will be no su- super slave, right? Which is probably a combination to me, like. A little bit more of like, uh, like off kilter beats, uh, things like that. Um, you know, I I don't want to like say it's like Jesus or anything like that, but it's just like think of like your off kilter like rap albums, think of your JPEG Mafia, think of you know uh, things like that. And I think this is a really kind of a a perfect combination. It kind of sits in the same vein. Maybe JPEG Mafia, maybe more on the production side. As opposed to like the lyrical side, where JPEG Mafia is kind of all over the place. Like this was very much like a focused, uh, like Black Liberation type of album. And then I kind of I was like, oh, that's cool. That's pretty dope. Like production's pretty cool. Never went back to it. Uh, and then he has this other album called Goyard Coming, um, which I think hmm. is actually his real name. Uh, Goyard is like his real first name, and like. I was listening to it the other day. I'm just kind of like, oh, this is a really dope album. And then I went to the the, the, the Spotify doesn't know how to categorize this dude because he has like four albums and four different names. <laughs> but <laughs> like, um, but essentially that is probably a little bit more on your traditional boom bap hip hop. Um, and and you know, I think kind of fits alongside like uh, your Griselda's in terms of your beat your Harry Frauds but also too like the 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 lyricism is definitely like not about like the streets and more about like liberation things like that um as one of my favorite hip-hop albums this year um I, I think it's it's awesome you know I, I'm an old man, so I like the boom bap. I, I like like the thinking man, you know. Like I, I don't like this this, this this mumble rap like it that your kids have out here. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's just like a really solid hip hop album from back to front. Um, and yeah, it's like a really interesting character as well, right? Like you you basically reinvent yourself for every album, and you call yourself a different name. Yeah. Now the thing that sucks is that that's pretty cool. You know, like it's hard to Google you. Like <laughs> it's hard to like. Well, I'm like, yo, check out. It's it's, it's hard. <laughs> check out Goyard. <laughs> you know, it's like he's got four albums, and you look and he only has one album. Like you know, like like the, like 
uh, maybe some of the, the SEO strategy might not be the best, but uh, but no, it's a really solid album. Uh, really great production. Um, you're talking about like 10,000 plays, right? Like it's really, really underground, but um, it's a cool album. So definitely check them out. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And on that note, we're about to head out. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's been a long time. I'm going to have a special episode for you, but before we kind of get to that, I just want to kind of shout everybody out who's been listening, who's been tagging along with us in the journey, you know, who's been thirsty for new music, you know, you kind of hop on here and, you know, me and Stone, we hang out. We like to hang out just to hang out anyway. So we'll be doing it anyway without y'all. So, you know, maybe we shouldn't thank y'all. But as the idea of where at the end of the day, you know, for the most part, we appreciate you guys listening. And, you know, we generally care about and love y'all, y'all. So, you know, as usual, you know, stay woke, stay safe, and peace. Peace. Love y'all. Love y'all.